this morning I want to chat with you. And it's really, it's, it's kind of funny, not funny, but what God's just done, I suppose, and broke my heart in one sense just before I got up is kind of in line with what he'd given me this word to share. So um, how many of you have ever loved a singer or a band and you would call yourself as an avid fan member? Yeah, well, for me, when I was a teenager, it was New Kids on the Block, okay? I brought, got brought up in Canada, and New Kids on the Block were big. They were bigger than Take That, just to let you know. When I moved here, everyone was into Take That, and I was just like, no, 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 no. It's New Kids on the Block. So anyway, I, was, I would class myself as an avid fan member in my early teens. I was a part of their fan club, and back in the day before internet, I would buy as many magazines magazines as I could to try and find out all about them. What was their favorite color? What was their favorite food? Where did they grow up? Did they have any brothers and sisters? I was there and I knew everything about them. I was obsessed. I would use all of my pocket money to buy their albums. I even got to see them um, in concert in Birmingham and I screamed so much I lost my voice and my ears were ringing for like three days afterwards. And I was the merch girl as well. Anyone ever bought merchandise of your favorite person or favorite band? I was there. I had t-shirts, shoelaces, earrings, key rings, bum bags. I even had a new kids on the block sleeping bag. I felt the bee's knees with my new kids on the block sleeping bag. And if you were to walk into my room, you would see it was plastered with posters of new kids on the block. So I just loved them. And I don't know about you, but there is something in us that loves following people. We're interested. Something captures our attention about them, and we want to know more about them. We want to find out about their lives. And I suppose more now than ever, we have got, because of social media, access and internet, access into the lives of people all over the world. At the click of a button, we can be following someone new. We can be following somebody in Pontypool in Newport, Cardiff. We can be following them in Zimbabwe or Singapore. We can be following people from all realms and all spheres of life at the click of a button. It could be musicians. Maybe it's celebrities and film stars. Perhaps it's your favorite sporting hero. Maybe you've seen lifestyle gurus that you follow. Maybe somebody who's brilliant at doing their houses and you're watching to see what they can do. Or it could just just be the average Joe living a few doors down that's caught your attention and you've started following them. We become avid spectators, trying to find out as much as we can about their lives, about their relationships, about their lifestyles, about their diets, about their fashion choices. And we want to know as much as we can about them and often... We may even want to be a bit like them in certain areas of our life. I was thinking about that, actually, and I thought, God, it's quite scary that somebody I have never spoken to and perhaps never will can actually influence my daily choices because I find out all about them. And actually, the way that they do things becomes the way that I want to do things. 
And in the day and age in which we live, gathering a following of people has become a business opportunity. Corporations and even individuals spend multi, multi millions of, of pounds each year trying to gather a following of people. But following isn't a new trend. We read the Bible, and Jesus was actually inviting people to follow him too. And as we look at Jesus' earthly ministry, we see that crowds would follow Jesus excitedly as they heard his inspirational teaching, as he began healing people and doing miracles in their midst. And no doubt there were many in that crowd thinking, oh, I, I hope I get to see him. I hope I get to touch him. I just want to be around him. I can't believe what he's doing. Maybe he'll do something for me as well. But unlike our modern day associations with following people, Jesus wasn't looking to accumulate a fan base of people. He was looking for more. Why? Why was he looking for more? Well, the reason he was looking for more is because there's a big difference between being a fan and being a follower. With a fan, things are easy come, easy go. Well, I like you. Well, I like what you're wearing. Well, I like what you're saying. Why I like what you're singing. I'm there. I'm your fan. But as soon as maybe you do something wrong or maybe you change the way your style or maybe you, um, you, know, you say something that doesn't suit me, I'm off. I'm no longer a fan of New Kids on the Block. I grew up. I moved on. I found somebody else to start enjoying. And for fans, it's easy come, easy go. We're there in the moment. But beyond that, don't suit me, I'm off. And we see this kind of attitude actually portrayed in, in the Bible too. For instance, we take the feeding of the 5,000. Amazing miracle, hey? A huge group of people following Jesus. He does this massive thing and feeds them all, 5,000 people. But then the next day, they come looking for him again. And they want him to feed them again. And Jesus actually says, listen, no more free food. I am the bread of life. I am enough. And this is what it says that their response was to that. John 6, 66. From that point on, many who had been traveling with him no longer followed him. He said something they didn't like. He didn't feed them when they wanted to be fed. They got offended. They moved on. They turned away and went home. Yeah, the fans loved watching the miracles. The fans loved listening to Jesus' inspirational teaching. But then when it didn't suit them, they decided to walk away. Do you know what? Jesus has never asked anybody in history to ever be his fan. He's never asked that. And he never will ask that either. He wasn't looking for a fan base. Jesus is looking for followers. 
people that will commit to him. You know, being a follower of Jesus is more than just owning a Bible or several Bibles and different translations. It's more than just knowing a few scriptures, of listening to worship music all the time, of praying before we go to bed, or even turning up for church on a Sunday. There's more to being a follower than that. Following Jesus is all about loyalty and commitment. It's about fully devoting ourselves to his cause, about living by his example and by doing what he says. Fans get close enough to be associated with Jesus and reap the benefits that Jesus has to offer. But they're not so close that they give commitment or sacrifice. Being a true follower of Jesus is somebody that says, I want to make Jesus Lord over every area of my life. Not just certain compartments that we unlock the key for and say, there you go, God, you deal with that but these bits are mine. No, being a true follower of Jesus gives him open access to every area. Being a follower is all about following all of Jesus' teachings, not just the ones that suit us. Being a follower of Jesus is all about laying down our lives, taking up our cross and following him. Matthew 16, 24 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And that's really where the challenge is, hey? We live in an individualistic society where we want to place ourselves as priority. Yet being a follower of Jesus actually means it's no longer me first. It's no longer living life the way I want to live. And that's really where the rubber hits the road for each one of us. It's always been that question. Will I be a fan or will I be a follower? It's a defining question for each of us to ask over our lives. After the feeding of the 5,000, when many turned away, stopped following Jesus because they didn't get what they wanted, Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he wanted to find out what it was gonna be for for them. He wanted to find out, are you gonna be just fans or are you gonna be my followers? John 6, 67 says this, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And I love the response of Simon Peter in the following verse. He says this, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You are our only hope. We have believed and confidently trusted. And even more, we have come to know 
by personal observation and experience that you are the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. When we encounter Jesus, we come to the realization that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God and he is our only hope. And because of that, because we've tangibly encountered him, we've experienced his goodness, we've seen what he's done, we've listened to his words of life, we're not interested in being just fans anymore, flitting from one person to the next who's got the top, hot topic or the hot kind of message of the season. No, when we're captured and gripped by the words of Jesus, we truly do want to be his followers because everything else pales into insignificance. Like Simon Peter and the Twelve, we want to be loyal. We want to be committed. We want to give up our own way to follow his way. And it is amazing because, you know, often we have connotations in our minds that when we give up something, we're missing out or we're losing out. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's not the case. In giving up our lives, in choosing not to make ourselves the be-all and end-all, and by actually following Jesus in his, and his words for our lives, as we lay down our lives, we don't end up losing them. But we actually end up gaining life. Matthew 16, 25 says this. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It's probably the only exchange I can think about in this world where we give up something and end up being saved and end up being given so much more. So I want us to begin to look at this morning at some great foundational truths for us to remember as followers of Jesus to begin with. And the first thing I want to say when we choose to follow him is that we need to remember it's all about love. I want to make that clear because oftentimes there are negative connotations surrounding following Jesus. Maybe ourselves, we may have held this viewpoint before or we've heard others say this before where they've said, actually, following Jesus is all about rules and regulations, the do's and the don'ts. And you know, if we approach our relationship with Jesus thinking it's all about a tick box exercise, if I do this, I don't do that, we're going to be really unhappy and we're not going to enter into the fullness of God, what God wants for us in our lives as we seek him wholeheartedly and follow him with commitment and loyalty. Love and pursuing love is at the center of being a follower. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about pursuing relationship. And it's because of Jesus' great love for us that we are able to love him. He laid down his life for us so that we could have eternal life. And that's why being a fan just doesn't hit the mark. 
Jesus was fully committed to us. And he expressed his love by dying on the cross. And because of that, I don't know about you, but because of what he's done for me and completely shown his commitment to me, I want to fully show my commitment to him too. Laying down my life is not a sacrifice. It's a privilege. To follow his way, I'm not losing out. I'm gaining so much more. You know, he loved me when I was undeserving. He called me his own. And his love for me is more than I could ever imagine. I can keep on thinking about it, but I'll never understand the greatness of his love. I'm sure neither will you. And I love how Paul actually talks about what the foundation of our relationship with Jesus should be built upon in Ephesians 3.16. He says this, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into what? God's love. Our roots are to grow down into his love to keep us strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. <laughs> it blows my mind. You see, having a relationship with Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is not about me trying to win his approval by doing things. I've already got his approval. We already have all of that. So we never need to approach our relationship with Jesus based on those things. He's given it all. He's lavished us with his love and he's promised to never remove it. And his love is more than we can ever imagine. Paul says that our roots growing down into God's love is what will keep us strong. That's where our strength will come as followers of Jesus when the storms come. It's not running around with a clipboard thinking, did I do this today? Did I do that? Did I remember this? Did I, did I pray at the end? Oh, did I listen to 20 minutes of worship? Did I X, Y, Z? No, that's not going to keep you strong. It's tapping into his love that is going to give us the strength to go through the storms, the challenges, to navigate the things that we're not expecting. That's what's going to give us strength to go the distance. So let's always remember that it's his love that is the foundation and the reason why we follow him. And he exampled his love so perfectly for us on earth. The second thing I want us to remember as followers of Jesus is that we are not alone. You know, each one of us has to come to a point of decision. Will I accept him or will I reject him? 
And this can't be done as a family group. You may be really close with your family, but this is not a, right, gather around the table. Now, what are we going to do here as a family? Are we going to follow him or are we not? No, Jesus says he stands at the door and he knocks on our own hearts individually. And each one of us has to make a decision, even if it may mean going against what some of the people are making decisions of in our families that we love, even if we choose different we all have to come to a place of decision. Will I accept Jesus or will I reject him? And that is our decision. We all have to make it individually. No one else can do it for us. But I love the fact that even though this decision is ours individually, we are not on our own. Yes, we have to make that decision, but we're not. If everyone else leaves us and we're the only one in our family that says, I'm standing for Jesus, I want us to all realize we're not standing on our own. Because the Bible actually says that God is going to send a friend. Listen to what it says in John 14 in the message. Jesus says this. I will talk to the Father, and he'll provide you another friend, so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. We have been given the Holy Spirit, which means each and every day, we are never on our own. We never need to journey as a Christian wondering, how is it going to be? No, we always have the Holy Spirit with us. He's our comforter. He's our guider. He's our helper. He is there with us. And I don't know about you, but I find it way easier to approach new situations and new challenges when I've got someone by me. It could be a little bit scary going into new circumstances on my own, but you pop somebody next to me, you give me Dave or even one of my kids, and I tell you, I feel a whole lot more confident. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So he says, you're never going to be on your own as you're navigating this life of Christ with me, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will help you, who will strengthen you, who will guide you, and who will direct you. How awesome is that? And the third thing I want us to remember is that we are to expect change. Following Jesus, we won't stay the same. Our lives will literally get turned upside down as we humbly commit our lives to him and as we submit to his will for our lives. Radical transformation is going to take place. So don't be scared when all of a sudden you're thinking things you never thought or you go to act a way that you never would have acted before. It's all part of the process of change as we learn about him and as we apply his teachings to our lives and allow him to work in our lives. It's exactly what happened to the early believers. Their transformation was not just visible to themselves, but it was visible to the community as well. It says this in Acts 11:26. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. This is the first time Christian was ever used and it wasn't used by a bunch of people that were following Jesus. It was used by people that were watching these believers and watching them. The original Greek word for Christian means is Christianos, which comes from two Greek words. 
The first one is Christ, which means anointed. And the second one is Tian, which means little. So being a Christian literally means little anointed ones. Because all of a sudden they saw that the transformation that was taking place was mirroring what Jesus the Messiah had done. They saw that transformation and that's why they called him them Christians. It wasn't a label, but instead it was a demonstration of the power of God working out through their lives. It changed the way they spoke. It changed the way they thought. It changed the way they acted. It changed every aspect of their lives. And people looked and went, little anointed ones. I've seen this before. I've seen, I've seen somebody like this before. Wasn't it Jesus? And that's why they called them Christians. So that's what we've got to look forward to as followers of Jesus, that we are little anointed ones. We are Christ-like. We become Christ followers and we get our lives get transformed to become more like him. And that is so, so exciting. So we've looked a little bit at following and we've looked at maybe the roots and the foundations of why we follow and over the next two weeks what I want us to begin to do is look at the lives of five people in the Bible and these five people all have something in common and what they all have in common is that they all talk about one thing that term one thing you'll see it and either talked about them, or they actually say that word, that phrase themselves, one thing. And we're going to look at what qualities were found in these followers of Jesus, followers of God, that, got, that brought them to the point of where they said one thing. So we're going to do that now. And it's amazing, when you think of the word one, it's singular, isn't it? It stands alone. It means there's nothing else crowding in and distracting, but it really provides focus. So we're going to look at that. And the first thing, the first quality I want us to look at this morning is the quality of focus. And we can see this evidenced in the life of Paul. In Philippians 3, it says this, Paul speaking, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. This one thing that Paul talks about, he says, I forget the past and I press on. In the message, I love how it's described. This is what Paul says. I've got my eyes on the goal where God is beckoning us onwards to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything that God has for us. For Paul, as with any follower in history, choosing Christ took him on a new path. 
We don't carry on the old path when we become a follower of Jesus. We walk on a new path. And as followers of Jesus, that is so exciting. And Paul helps us and he admonishes us as we begin this journey on this new path because he knows there are going to be obstacles along our way. And this is what he said he prioritized for his life. This one thing was that he was going to forget and press on and focus to the future. Paul realized how important it was to not allow his mind to drift back to the old way of things. Because when we look back, it actually hinders us from receiving everything that our future has. And we see this illustrated in the Bible, especially with the children of Israel. You know, there's a danger when we don't let go. There's a danger when we still keep looking back. For the children of Israel, they were delivered from Egypt. They were given a new land and a new life. But when things got tough, they began complaining and they began looking back with fondness. They began looking back with fondness. It's hysterical to actually read it, but you think, oh my gosh, that's what we do all the time. That's why Paul has to talk to us about us. This is what they say in Numbers 11. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and the leeks and the onions and garlic that we wanted. Like they completely forgot about like 400 years of slavery under taskmasters. They forgot all about that. But as it got a little bit tough as they were making headway, they began to reminisce with little fairy tale clouds thinking, oh, do you remember when? And the garlic and the melons and the cucumber. And that's why it's really important and why Paul says we've got to forget those things in our past because when the going gets tough, when our attitudes and our actions get challenged by the word, when our faith gets stretched, when we come into persecution and misunderstanding, we go, oh, remember, oh, remember what my old life was like. I never had any of this. It was so lovely back then, but we forget that we used to cry ourselves to sleep at night. We forget that we had no peace in our lives. We forget that we were struggling with our relationships and we were struggling and we had no, we, we, we forget all of that. We just remember the fairy tale. And that's why Paul has to say to us, you've got to forget the past. Notice that after God opened the Red Sea for the children of Israel to, to walk through, he closed it then. He didn't keep the Red Sea parted. He could have. But do you know what? He closed it because it was a, a sign of this is the end of. You are entering into something new now. And you know, as followers of Jesus, that's why it is so important that we get baptized. 
That is the first command that Jesus gives us once we make a choice for him. Repent and be baptized. Why? Because when we get baptized, we are symbolizing that we are saying goodbye. We are burying the old life in a watery grave. No more. There's no future in that old life anymore. And when we get raised up out of the water, we are saying we have decided we are following him. No turning back. No turning back. I think we all know a song about that, don't we? Well, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And so I would encourage any one of you that has made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've not yet been baptized, first area we get to submit in, get baptized. Jesus did it, he exampled it, and he asks us to do the same because he understands the power in closing and actually drawing a line in the sand and said, I'm moving, I'm on a new path now. I am on a new path. So Paul says we've got to forget the past. You know, for many of us, our past may also have some pretty bad memories attached to it, things that maybe we're not too pleased about ways that we treated people, ways that we dealt with things. But we close the door. Galatians 2.20 says this, It is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. We may have done a whole lot of bad stuff in our past. We may have done a whole lot of good stuff in our past as well. But Paul doesn't say remember the good stuff and just forget the bad stuff. He says forget it all. Forget it all. Everything that we had, everything that we were prior to Jesus. Actually, Paul says a few um, verses before, he says, I count it like dung in comparison to what I found in Jesus Christ. So each day we've got to choose to forget our past. We've got to let go of old ways of thinking, old ways of talking, old ways of doing things, old ways of treating people, things that may have characterized us before our lives in Christ. But they don't belong in our future. As followers of Jesus, Paul says that we are to press on towards the goal. That word press is literally to pursue it with all your might. It's not a little bit wishy-washy, I'll do that. No, I'm pressing on. I'm going for this. I'm going. I'm not dithering. I'm not stopping. I am pressing. This is the way that I want to live because this is the path of life. We think it crazy to drive to work looking through the rear view mirror of our cars. But that's often how we drive our lives. We're going forward, but we're looking back. And we're allowing old things to crowd the way of the new that God's had for us. But no, our new life in Christ is exciting. What does it look like? What does this new life look like? Well, we only have to look at the fruits of the Spirit to see that our new life in Christ looks and exhibits itself in our lives through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that will bring in our future, that we'll take into our future, that the Lord will continually begin working in our lives 
So every day we have a choice to make. Gone is the old, I press on to the new. And sometimes we may have to speak to ourselves sternly when we want to slip into old ways. And I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. The new life has begun. That's what we claim, lay claim to. That's what Paul says. We now have a new focus. We've said goodbye to the old and we are embracing the new. And this is a continual journey of transformation. How exciting. So as followers of Jesus, we will have that quality of focus in our lives. And it is a daily decision. The next quality that we will have is the quality of conviction. We're going to read about a man now that we'll be familiar with from reading about some of the amazing miracles that Jesus did. And it's the story of a man who was blind from birth and Jesus healed him. In John 9, it says this, verse 6, Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went back and washed and he came back seeing. An amazing miracle happened. A man blind from birth receives sight because he has an encounter with Jesus. And the people that are watching it can't believe it. And they begin to bring this man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees can't believe it, but they can't believe it for a different reason. They are miffed now because Jesus has gone and done something on the Sabbath. And they want to nail him for this. And they kind of are disbelieving as well. They're so disbelieving that they ask people. And well, they ask the man. He tells them what happens. Then they go and ask the parents, was he really blind from birth? I mean, honestly, that, I mean, crazy. But they, they were like, yes, yes, he was blind from birth. So then they go back to the man. And they go back to the man and they're questioning, but they're questioning him, but they're questioning him with an underlying intention of trying to trick him so that they can catch Jesus out. And I love the way that this man, this healed man, this seeing man now responds to the Pharisees. Bearing in mind his encounter with Jesus is what like that? He's not been a follower. He's not been following him. He's not been part of the crowd. So his encounter with Jesus is but moments. So we don't know a lot. But this is what he says in John 9.25. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. And I love the simplicity of this answer as this man became a follower of Jesus because he doesn't try to convince them. He doesn't try to argue with the Pharisees. He's got no well-prepared speech for what's taking place. He doesn't know a lot about Jesus. But one thing that he does know is that his life was completely changed when he encountered Jesus. 
And there's no disputing that. You see, as a follower of Jesus, we will end up with conviction. Because for each one of us, we can truly say, I was once blind, but now I see. We can truly say what God has done in our lives. And I think that that gives us such strength and such boldness. Never shy back from telling people about Jesus because you're concerned you're not going to be able to answer their arguments. There's always going to be people that will have comments or questions. And God's not asking us to be this walking historical concordance where we know all the answers. But we can be like this man and we can be honest and say, hey, I don't know the answer to your question. But one thing I do know is that Jesus has changed my life. No one can dispute your testimony. In Revelation, it says this, in Revelation 12, it says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful. And as God commissions us, as Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, we are armed with the truth of what Jesus did. And we can share about his love for us, about how he died on the cross for us, and how three days later, he rose into newness of life and promised us abundant life and a new life in him. And we're armed with our testimony and we can share about the goodness of God and what he's done. And we should never be ashamed, but we should have confidence that your testimony is powerful. Your testimony has great power because it's an experience and it's an encounter with the living God. God says it's the goodness of God that leads us into salvation. And he has dispensed his goodness in our lives, hasn't he? He has really given us everything that we would want for him. In Psalm 34, 8, it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. It's kind of the flip way of the way we do things. Normally, we see something first and then taste it don't we? But the Bible says, taste and see. It's like God allows us to receive and encounter his goodness. And when we receive and encounter it for ourselves, we then go, ah, I see what you were on about. Yes, God does love me. Yes, I see. But he's a God of an experience. He's a God of encounter. Just like the blind man, he healed him first. And then he had a devoted follower as he saw the goodness of God in his life. So those are two aspects today that we've looked at. Qualities that are found as we follow Jesus. And next week, we're going to look at another three qualities, all found where people said this one thing. And I go back now to really the beginning of the way I started my message. Christianity is not a game. God's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And I know in each one of our lives, we've tasted of the goodness of God for ourselves individually. 
And the question is for all of us. Will you follow me to the ends of the earth? Will you give your whole life to follow me? And yes, the journey is a bit scary at times because we're walking this out daily. And sometimes there's challenges. And sometimes we, we're not sure what to do. But we can have confidence each day that we have the love of God so beautifully demonstrated on the cross and that is the thing that and one of the bedrocks of why we follow Jesus we can have confidence that we're not on our own that the Holy Spirit was with us to help us to guide us to encourage us to teach us and then we can see that transformation taking place in our lives and it's an exciting journey. As we lay down our lives, we gain new life, a life that far surpasses anything that we could have ever imagined. And this new life gives us focus. We're like Paul, we say, actually, I've drawn a line in the sand. This was my life before, but I'm leaving that there because I found a whole new way of living. And I'm walking on a new path. And as we walk on that new path, one of the first things we can do, whether we've been a Christian for 30 seconds or 30 years, is that we can have conviction. The fact that God is a God of encounter. And we've known, we've seen, we've tasted for ourselves the goodness of what he's done in him giving us unconditional love, his unconditional love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness every day. So those are just some things we looked at. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives. Lord, you're so gracious and patient with us. You're so loving and tender-hearted. You're the savior of the world, and you're our best friend. Lord, thank you for each person here today. Lord, we want to grow to know you more. Each one of us has a desire in our hearts to follow you fully. Lord, if there's any areas in our lives that need maybe fine-tuning or adjusting, thank you, Lord, that you'll reveal to us and show us how we can follow you in all of the fullness that of, what, that you, of the life that you want us to lead. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It really is a privilege to follow you. You know, you may be here today. And, you know, you would never have classed yourself as a fan of Jesus. And you certainly wouldn't say you were a follower of Jesus. But today, like I mentioned earlier, God stands at the door of your heart today and he knocks. And he says, will you accept me? Will you allow me to come into your life? To change it, transform it, to forgive you, to heal you? Will you become a follower? If you say, Faye, I want to be a follower today, then why don't you pray this simple prayer after me? 
Why don't you say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you were prepared to die on the cross for me, to forgive me of my sins so that I could have access into um, your presence, into a relationship with you. I ask you to come into my life right now and become Lord of my life. I want to submit my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.